Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Doctor, everything will be alright. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. Oh, my man Jack is keeping us on our toes on a midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's when Jack takes songs from a soundtrack that inspired him and then based on the selections that are played, Harge and I are supposed to gather clues and hints, uh, breadcrumbs that lead us to the featured film of midweek movie music. And how about that? A little purple rain for you. Wow. Hey, this has never happened in the history of Ball Don't Lie. Nope. The middle of midweek movie music, my man switches it up and remix on you, and then we go to a totally different soundtrack. And I gotta tell you, I I, I support this move. I, I support this move, Jack. Good if, job. If I'm being honest, well I was looking at the Space Jam soundtrack and I was like, there's a lot of R. Kelly. I don't really want to play. <laughs> R. Kelly. Oh wow! He made wow. an executive decision to flip the script well on him. Well done, there. Good job, Jack. Whoa, that is okay. <laughs> I appreciate you being honest about that. You saw I love it. Because R. Kelly is heavily featured all, on all that, soundtrack, that soundtrack. All over I that believe soundtrack. I could fly. And people have pretty much, for, in terms of public consumption, they have they have nixed and canceled R. Kelly for public consumption. I don't hear any R. Kelly when I'm out and about. Uh, if I listen to R. Kelly, I have to do it on my own. Like nobody's gonna be playing it publicly. Yeah, yeah. musicians, you can get away with certain crimes, and people will still think you're cool. You know, Tupac went to jail, for, you know, all that yeah. kind of thing. Oh, no, but, yeah. but R. Kelly, not not those kind of crimes. People nope. aren't gonna be nope. too happy about it that. Is, nope. uh, no, I mean, with some artists, we seem to have been able to separate the the artist from you know the the art itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but with R. Kelly, it seems like people have not done that as well, even though he had a lot of jams. Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of jams. And a lot of them on that soundtrack of uh, uh, Space Jam, which was the first movie uh, for midweek movie music on today's show. But we have, uh, as we just told you, flipped the script a little bit. Purple Rain on Called it. an audible on y'all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, you know what, I like it. I ain't mad about that. And I love the reasoning. I, I, was, I, 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 I can, love the reasoning. Can't I fight can, it. Yes, I cannot dispute it. No. I would, you know, because I honestly, I'm not, I'm not someone saying you can't play music from someone who's obviously committed some transgressions of some type. I'm not about like, the cancel thing, the cancel culture. Uh, but I, I understand. I get it. Yep. You want to change your mind? Hey, man, it's a free country. Already you change your damn mind. You are in control of midweek movie music. And you know what? You upgraded in soundtracks. You did. 
you went from Can't nobody Space Jam one. to Purple Rain. Come mm-hmm. on, man. That's one of the greatest soundtracks in the history of music. I was For wondering sure. what to play, and I was like, you can't ever go wrong with Prince. You won't ever go wrong with that. Mm-mm. Um, all right, there you go. Winning this way for sure. Okay, somebody I guarantee that likes uh, Purple Rain is Victor Winmanyama. Oh, for sure. Probably like Space Jam too. Well, Prince uh, would be probably to his kneecaps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very true. But we know from the Chappelle show yeah. that Prince, big basketball he fan. Chop, he can hoop. So he would be keeping up with Victor Winbanyama if he was alive with us today. Yep. Uh, oh, so, so Victor Winbanyama went on the Old Man and the Three uh, show. That's J.J. Reddick's uh, show slash podcast that he does. And, of course, he's talking about being projected to be the number one overall pick in tomorrow's NBA draft. Uh, so we got some pieces of audio that uh, I want to discuss uh, after we hear from Victor Wimbenyama. Wimby, as the Spurs fans are affectionately calling him now. So speaking of Spurs fans, he was asked about being drafted, potentially, not potentially, almost uh, guaranteed, inevitably, by the Spurs in tomorrow's draft. And here is what Wimby had to say about it. Really, if I, if I, if I had had to choose one franchise to get the number one pick, I would have chose San Antonio. Um, it's just... I know, and I heard so much, so much about the the atmosphere and the the culture over there, you know, the winning culture that, you know, this. If I had to choose, it would be a no brainer. No brainer. No brainer. If I had to choose, it would be a no brainer. A lot of that has to be because of the fact that he has a lot of history with the the. Well, he doesn't personally, but the Spurs. His connections. He has his connections. Played for Tony Parker's team. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and it's and, a good look. And the Boris Diaw. Yeah. Uh, connect. He brought that up uh, right after they won the lottery. So, no, you're right. It's a lot of connections. He felt like he had a – matter of fact, we'll play that audio later. He felt a spiritual connection to the Spurs right before they even won the lottery. It does make you feel like there is some, uh, you know, some uh, some superior forces at work mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, here with Victor Winbinyama. But uh, getting back to the audio here, uh, he was also asked on that show why he didn't, you know, skip the the rest of the playoffs – or even the rest of the season for the French League team that he's playing for after the G League showcase where everybody projected him to be the number one overall pick and the Mm -hmm. best prospects they ranked him since LeBron James. Uh, Here is why he said that he decided to not only, uh, you know, play after the G League showcase, but, hell, he just got done playing this week. (laughs) Early this week, he he played in the finals of their uh, postseason playoffs that French League. Here is Victor Winbanyama saying why he didn't shut things down. I know a lot of a lot of prospects did that uh, over the years, even this year. And um, but uh, I'm 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 not I'm not a quitter, you know. I, as I told you, I had such responsibility with, with this team. I know these guys trusted me just like I trust them. And uh, yeah, it, it it just counts. It just matters for me. I can <laughs> I can't quit, you know. Just not who I am. Wow, that's also what you want to hear. Now I will guarantee you that load management. <laughs> will be a term that he's going to become very familiar with for the rest of his NBA career. That's he, God, he's a big man. He's 7'5", seven, 7'6", seven, whatever. Not a lot of history of guys that size being durable all throughout their career. Usually one injury compounds another, and it's lower leg injuries, uh, lower extremity injuries, and you want you want to avoid the first big one yes. whenever that happens. Uh, and I don't know how many games he played in the French League, but obviously it's not 82. So I would put the over-under right now at about 65. Um, I'm, you know, like I said, Pop probably doesn't give a damn about 
uh, accolades and awards, so I don't know where he that better. Puts- Yes, I'm sure his. A, I'm sure the agent of yes. Wimby cares about that kind of stuff. But I think his health, durability, long term uh, durability matters a lot more than him winning Rookie of the Year, being on the All Rookie Team um, yeah. as a rookie. So especially while he's learning to, you know, where at least he's bulking up. He's gonna bulk up because he's really s- slim, um, and he'll bulk up a little bit. And while he's banging around with a lot of bigger, thicker bodies with more girth. Uh, he may get a little bit injured, may get nicks here and there. They can limit that by just limiting the amount of time he plays. So I don't think he'll play 70 games his rookie year. Well, I don't think so. I could be off about that. I mean, I, I hope you're off about that because that means that somebody is going to miss out on watching this young man play when it comes to their city. That that's, means, yeah, that's that, I mean, in the first year, I don't, I don't see why Pop would even think about doing something like that. I think he should make him play, all of them play that very first year. And then as he gets older, I mean, he's 19 years old. And I understand he's that the league. He's a big man. Yeah. He's a big man, though. 19, I, he's not a 19-year-old guard, man. He's 7'5". Yeah. I mean, 7'5", guys are just. I mean, there ain't anything just walking around out there either. And, <laughs> and most of them that play in the NBA, yeah. they got a you know deep injury history. So, I, But you're right. He's 19. He's, and by the way, he's not like other big men. Yeah. He's a He's very a, unique big man. Yeah, he plays on the outside, moves like a guard, yes. try to pass like one, and he has that wingspan. But you know as well as I do, everybody's going to try him. Everybody's going to go after him. He'll everybody's going to try to put it on him. Oh, yeah. And and that's where some of the challenges may exist for him. But let's – you know, I've been around people that have been talking a lot of trash about, man, let him play in the league. Let him see what happens. Let's go with him. You know how many times a lot of these guys that play over in Europe, they're playing against pro players too. That's true. They, he, I mean, look at what Luca did. Mm-hmm. Luca was playing professional basketball at 15 years old. My son is 14. He's about to go to high school. There's a difference in what's going on with some of these skillful type players. So for me, when people mm-hmm. always talk about, oh, I don't know, he may not be tough enough. I'm like, that's not true. I think this dude is going to mm-hmm. be tough enough. And that is why he is going to be able to transition to the league because he's been playing against grown men in a lot of this league. Yeah. The team that swept them, I think they had six or seven NBA players, former NBA players on that team. Nice. So there, he has been challenged throughout these years. Um, he was also asked about the, um, you know, basically his style of play. And he's interesting. He doesn't he doesn't dive deep into the answering the question. I think he brings up one or two players, but he does talk about how different he is and how different because of his unique skill set, how different his training strategies have to be. Um, and also about injury prevention, something we just got into of a guy of his size. Here is Victor Winbanyama. Yeah, you know the this guys yeah like Yanis and stuff, um, but uh. I think I think I'm different because uh, I, I got to say, like nobody or really few people are my size, and even fewer play like me, play the way I play, you know, move the way I move, and um, so as I got an original like play style and height, so I gotta I gotta have an original routine, original uh, process, original uh, recipe, you know. So it's really a thoughtful process. And it's like with my coach, Guillaume, I'm really close to him and we were really good this year. It's like a huge part of, of thinking and, and thinking before, thinking how we can do better. And every day 
my, 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 my trainer, my coach, he, he like, when we practice, we probably do a new exercise every day. Yeah, he, he does train a in a very unique fashion. I remember reading some stories about uh, his training regimen and all the different things he does because because basically his trainer trained him uh, as when he was a youngster as a guard, as a perimeter player. And his father was a track guy. Yep. Like he grew up in a household. His, his mom is the basketball like, you know, phenom actually in the family. Uh, the, and the mom is still a coach to this day, but she was a professional basketball player. And so that's where he gets all of his basketball genes and his basketball acumen, his basketball IQ. Um, his mom, I think her name is Elodie, and she's 6'3". Uh, the dad, Felix, he's a former competitive long jumper uh, who works as a track coach, too, and he's 6'6". And he's got uh, a grandfather who stood taller than seven foot who also was a former uh, pro basketball player, too. <laughs> so he's got a lot of basketball in his genes and yeah. his blood. Um, he also has a, uh, a sister who's 6'1". She plays basketball in France. He has a brother who's 6'6", also plays basketball in France. So basketball family, athletic family. And the reason someone of his size... Who you know you're talking about whatever seven three seven four whatever he is um, someone of that size who can move the way he moves. You know, he's talking about and move the way I move. Yeah, <laughs> um, because his dad taught him how to run. Yep. Most guys that size they look awkward when they run. They, they the mechanics of running is not something they mastered. His dad made him master it. Yep. His dad never let him run awkwardly. His dad was because his dad's a track coach. He's like no no man he learned how to run. You learn the mechanics of running. I don't give a damn if you're seven form foot. Is, form for, is exactly. Your form, yes, exactly. For a guy that size, he yep. knows how to move. It it's, is. Impor- it's important. Yeah, and so that combine that with also, remember the name, you'll hear a lot of it, Kareem uh, Bubekri. Yep. Who was his coach growing up. He was a he was a big fan of Isaiah Thomas um, as a, he was a basketball coach growing up, but he was a, fan of like Pistol Pete and Isaiah Thomas and he used to watch all these and one mixtape videos and he would show those to his players and uh, Boo Beckray he called that he's they called him he had he's a non-traditionalist he had all these non-traditional techniques that he would use with Winbinyama as a young prodigy Winbinyama you learn to handle the ball with working with soccer goaltender gloves to help with his dexterity um, um, he also learned, despite his height, he had to dribble the ball low so he can control it because he worked out with guards. The guy was actually training guards and wing players, mm-hmm. and yet Wimby was still working out with him, a guy that was seven three or whatever, and that's why Wimby's handles are a lot better for a guy his size, too. So he runs a lot smoother, uh, and yep. his handles are a lot better. You just don't see guys with that kind of size that have handles like, like that. So that's just some of the background on why... F- Physically, he's just there. Ain't nothing like him. That's the impressive part about it. With that being said, it's he. We don't understand what his training was prior to it. You just laid it out for us, and that was some of the things that people didn't understand. It's like, well, why, why, why is everybody fawning over this guy? Because it's something that we haven't seen in life before. <laughs> in I mean, life. <laughs> you were talking about it. I mean, we saw the picture of the ball, the bas- I mean, the baseball in his hand. You couldn't tell it was a baseball. It's like us holding a golf ball. Mm -hmm. That's how big his hands are. Then you go out there and you look at the skill that he has, and nobody really can truly say 
how great or how bad he's going to be, but the wingspan and the way that he's performed at a high level already. His he can get to the from the free throw line to the goal in one step. Like it's ridiculous what his reach is. 84 inches. Yeah. The wingspan is 84. Makes no it sense. It makes zero sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he I probably know, was part of Space Jam. And also, one, <laughs> one texture says, uh, "Rod, why is he getting taller every time you mention him?" It's not me. It's the it's, it's the I'm not making it up. It's the reports. Right. The reports have him somewhere between seven two and seven five. You can go look it up. Yep. It, it, depending on what uh, what you know, site you look what at. site you looking at yep. and what source it is, he says. Okay, so this was from the Associated Press yesterday. The tall task of determining Victor Wembanyama's Win- height isn't finished yet. The expected number one overall pick in the NBA draft might be 7-4, maybe not. While the league is listing him at that height in the draft guide on its media website, it's not official. Um, they said, uh, and they, I guess in September, they'll have to make it official. It has to be like, that's the deadline for it, for the Spurs to have to make it official. Like, they have to give him an official height. Mm-hmm. But his height is listed in the draft guide, falls in the middle of conflicting reports about how tall the Frenchman is. It's not official, however, because he went Binyama. He didn't attend uh, the NBA draft combine in May, where they are actually measured. Mm-hmm. When he was asked at the uh, New York Yankees game how tall he is, um, he said he was seven three in October during the French pro teams exhibition in Las Vegas. Nineteen years old, by but the at way. nineteen Still years growing. old, yeah. So he's been listed anywhere from seven two to seven five. Yeah. So if you go back, there's there's a couple articles that are out there, and, it, and it's it's pretty funny because the title of the story says eight photos of seven foot four Victor Wembanyama making famous people look comically small. So he's standing next to Rudy Gobert, and everybody's seen this picture that's been yes. out there. Rudy Gobert is listed at seven foot one. Yes, he's towering over Rudy Gobert. Then he's standing next to Mbappe. Uh, Mbappe's a little soccer player, so that's not really fair. But we were talking about J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick is, what, 6'4", 6'5"? Mm-hmm. And he's towering over J.J. Redick. He's standing next to J- uh, Chet Holgram and uh, Jaden Ivey, two players that were drafted in the first round last year. And he is – Chet Holgram is seven foot, and it, it looks like Wimby is at least six, foot, uh, six inches taller than him. Like, these pitchers – are giving him so much uh, juice as far as his height. So you're right, Rod. People, the reason why you keep giving him different numbers is because you can look at other people and he you does. can say he looks bigger than those people by a lot of inches. Yeah. So it's like, it's like it ain't me. I know Texas is like Robbie. Why you keep saying that? It's, it ain't me. <laughs> like, yeah. It's I swear you go look it up and he's been listening anywhere from seven two to seven six. And there and there's another picture of him standing next to Zach Eady. Yes. Who is seven four, and he's at least an inch taller than Zach Eady <laughs> in the picture. You can see like when Eady went to the combine, and he looks like two inches taller than yep, Zach Eady. Yep. So I don't know how tall he is, but he's really tall <laughs> and and freakish in so many ways. Yep. All right, uh, let's get to the the couple of uh, last bits of audio here. Um, this is another piece of audio, and this was. JJ Reddy asking him like, "What centers you? Right? How do you keep? How do you stay grounded? Right? You're." being talked about as the best prospect in the history of the NBA draft and uh, best prospect since LeBron. Expectations are, you know, winning rings and championships. How do you stay grounded? Uh, It's an interesting answer, um, and it shows you how kind of deep this young man actually is. Here is Wimby. Love. It's, um, 
my totem is it's something like it's something bigger than basketball you know it's it's just life it's just accomplishing yourself inside this universe you know and uh i'm this is i always i always got when 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 i need motivation when i need energy and i feel tired out when i need a fight on the court and it's it's hard i always remember i'm 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 free in that universe i I do whatever i can and i know what i want to do and nothing's going to stop me from doing it and i always got that in mind and it doesn't just stop to basketball you know it's, it's about life there you go it's about life Young man seems pretty deep, and oh. will he's grounded too. He's definitely grounded. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. When, when you're a player like him, you've been in the limelight for a long time. You are mature. I'm talking about eight, uh, actions wise mm-hmm. compared to most people your age at that point. Yeah, he certainly because he's seems lived like, a lot. Yes, no doubt. That's yep. a good point. He's experienced a lot more just at his young age. Yep. Uh, okay, this is a, this is uh, the last piece of audio we have from the JJ Reddick interview, um, where I. I don't even know how to describe this. You can just let him describe it for you. <laughs> he is describing an athletic feat that he apparently does with you know uh, on a regular basis, and he even says he's going to get video of it. But listen to him describe this to JJ Reddick, and even JJ Reddick um, almost be stupefied by this. Uh, here is Wimby. I was fourteen. I was fourteen, and you know when the ball is stuck on the on the rim, like when you're shooting just. Stuck sticks between the rim and the backboard. The wedgie, the oh. crotch shot. Okay, okay, crotch well, shot or wedgie. Yeah, well, I, I was I was with a with a coach back there, back then, and like the practice was over, so I was just sitting around and we were just laughing. We were laughing, and I, and I jumped and I tried to kick the ball, to kick it with my foot, and I touched it with my foot, the ball between the the backboard and the rim. I'm trying to understand the and I was fourteen. <laughs> the physiological <laughs> dynamics of that. Did you flip around or you just have that much flexibility? What do you mean flip around? What do you mean? Well, it's 10 feet high. Yeah. So I would, oh, if no, you're no, kicking, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if just, you're kicking, kick. there's yeah. a, little, a little momentum there. Yeah. You just came, yeah, landed yeah, back yeah. down. Yeah. This is going to be on camera someday. Wow. So this dude is claiming, and I thought he was talking about a bicycle kick too, like the soccer players do. Where you flip, and I was like, man, he is really athletic. He can do a backflip and kick the ball. That's amazing. No, he is talking about the ball getting wedged between the back of the rim and the front of the backboard, and he can jump up. And essentially, I don't know where his head and his chest come, but he can jump so high and kick his legs with such flexibility that he can jar it loose with the front of his foot somehow. Wow. Amazing. Like I said, he could win the dunk contest with that move alone, and he would never have to actually dunk. Without making a dunk. I'd give him a 10. I'd be like, I've never (laughs) seen that before. That is freakish, and he's an alien, and I would give him the championship. I'd give him the title of dunk champion. That is unbelievable. And he he said it with such uh, kind of a calm bravado. Oh, we'll get it it on video. Meaning, I do it all the time when I'm bored. Uh, When I'm bored, I do that. Trust me on that one. Wow. Yeah. (sighs) Special. 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 I don't even know if it does it justice, brother. I don't know if special does it justice. And, and you know what? Can we, can, uh, Jack, can we have that uh, piece of audio from the uh, interview with Wimby when they actually won the lottery from that day? Please have that ready for me. Because now is he special because of all the freakish reasons we're bringing up and you talked about the maturity and all that kind of stuff, best prospects since LeBron, all that. But he also won't want to leave San Antonio 
like one Kawhi Leonard did. Ooh. Because this is his dream team. This is the team, not his dream team, but hopefully he make it a dream team. But this is his like this is the team that he always dreamed of playing for. Right, right. Right. His fantasy has come true. And we know this because he said it on the night that the Spurs won the lottery. Here is Winbinyama on that night. So when the pick was made, you looked to your left, you looked to your right, and then you <laughs> grinned. Who did you look at and what were you thinking? There's a special relation between France and the Spurs because of Tony, of course, and also Boris. And um, I know half of the country, maybe, if not the whole country, wanted the Spurs to have the first pick. So I was looking at everyone and everyone was happy. So I was too. You had said that the universe told me? The universe told me. Not to brag about it, but I knew what was going to happen. And, uh, I actually recorded myself uh, saying it this morning, walking to practice. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, the universe told me dreams, feelings. It happens sometimes. But it's never wrong. It's always right. Hold up. How much is that video worth and where is it? Yeah. He recorded himself basically speaking the the, the lottery uh, into existence. The Spurs were going to win the NBA lottery, and he did it the day of the NBA lottery, the morning of. Where is that video, and how much <laughs> will it be worth? Somebody has it right now. Somebody in his team was like, no, no, I'll save this. We'll make sure we save this. But I'm happy for Spurs fans um, tomorrow because Spurs fans had one of the worst breakups in NBA history when Kawhi Leonard decided to ghost the Spurs and decided he wanted nothing to do with the Spurs. And not only did he ghost him, but the Spurs decided to get back at him by sending him to Toronto. And then this dude ends up winning an NBA title and had the the apex and the zenith of his career happen right after he left the Spurs just on the mat. Just left the franchise devastated. And in the shadow of that devastation, this dude reaches the mountaintop. I know Spurs fans had to be sick to their stomach watching that. And now you get to rebound. Now your rebound is the best prospect since LeBron James. Yeah. There you go. So the basketball gods shining on you. Um, ah, but yeah, I mean, nobody's luckier than the Spurs. I'll say luck, but when they call on the basketball guys, the basketball guys do answer and heed the call because they get the first pick t- uh, tomorrow in NBA draft. All right, uh, we'll come back. We'll get into Rod's rather day. There's a nugget about the sale of the Charlotte Hornets that I don't think anybody knows, come on. and we got to dive into it. MJ, he's the goat on the court. I know people are talking about him being a scrub as an owner, and that very well may be true, but as a businessman, ooh, he's a businessman. Man. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, 1049 Horn. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 Home. It's time for Rod's Round today. So Michael Jordan, uh, the, the GOAT, MJ, just sold or at least is in the process of selling the Charlotte Hornets. 
Um, and the team's, I think, recent like $3 billion price tag is what it sold for, and has now officially made MJ more money on the Hornets sale than he did from his 40 years with Nike. He made $1.8 billion in his 40 years with Nike. Uh, he's made $2 billion just from the sale of the Hornets franchise. And it's one of the best business deals in sports history. Uh, okay, so the background is Robert Johnson, who, by the way, well, African-American history, was the first black billionaire in American history. So he had just sold BET. Hello. <clears throat> yeah, he was like the he was a, the mogul, all right, an entertainment mogul. And he had just sold uh, BET uh, for, about, I think it was like $3 billion. It was a lot of money. And he paid, uh, basically paid like $300 million uh, to get an expansion team to Charlotte. Um, and then, of course, laid out the plan for the broadcasting rights and, you know, having a regional sports network. He had some grand plans. Let's just the long and short of it. Most of the grand plans did not work out. They failed miserably. Um, he had a regional sports network that failed after just one season. And the team was losing a lot of money. Uh, upwards of $25 million per year uh, under Robert Johnson. So he fired a ton of employees and cut all the costs down to the bare, became a bare bones kind of franchise, which fans just love. Yeah. <laughs> the cheap billionaire. Um, and he kept. <laughs> I became a billionaire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he kept kind of, you know, basically downplaying it. And people didn't think he had any real love or passion for the community or for the team. And then he kind of convinced Michael Jordan to come on as a minority owner, uh, really as a more of a public relations move, try to gain some favor with fans and gain some favor with the NBA community. Hey, bring on the goat, right? Ask Michael Jordan to buy a minority stake, which he did. Sounded like a great idea. It was a great idea. Um, and basically, Charlotte, after he became a minority owner, so it was a good thing bringing him in, but the Charlotte Hornets still spent uh irresponsibly in free agents they spent a ton of money on free agents millions of dollars on free agents that didn't work out hired and fired coaches that comes kind of the nba norm uh and they drafted a lot of players in the top 10 that also didn't work out whether it be adam morrison brendan wright dj augustine uh mm-hmm. but they still and they basically didn't make any playoff runs at all they didn't make the playoffs one single time from 05 to 09 uh didn't even have a winning record in that time span and their attendance dropped precipitously. Nobody went to these damn games. They were like Oakland A's baseball games. <laughs> Nobody was going. Things were getting really bad. Man, that cold. They were really. It was. <laughs> it was ugly. So Robert Johnson, uh, he was also heavily invested in other business. At this point, the Charlottes were probably his, I don't know, fifth or sixth top priority in his business empire. He just really didn't give a damn about it. And and he was investing in car dealerships and you know private equity funds production studios we were broadcast networks he was highly diversified all over the place slot machines you know all types of stuff and he also was in the midst of a divorce and i think that they it was a messy one i mean i don't know if initially they had a prenup and it got really really ugly and so essentially he had a lot of debt as a result of bad business ventures and this really costly divorce and he needed to get liquid he had worth but we all know net worth and liquid cash are different yep, things big time right and he needed liquid cash right he had all he had all these properties and he had all these different valuable entities but he needed cash so he basically was going to sell his majority stake in the team in Charlotte his initial asking price was 350 million um, but he had several million dollars in upcoming interest payments, and he was close to basically, like we said, becoming illiquid. 
where he didn't have a lot of liquid cash around. So he just sold the team to Michael Jordan, and their headline said it sold for $275 million. There is a report uh, from the Daily Beast at the time that MJ actually only put down a down payment of $25 million in cash. That was it. And the rest of the $300 million, so the $275 million, a lot of that uh, was basically existing debt on the business that Michael took on as the new majority owner. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows exactly how much cash <laughs> Michael Jordan paid for the Charlotte Hornets. The assumption is he did have that initial $25 million cash down payment. But after that, like I said, he took on a ton of debt that the team owed and that Robert Johnson owed. And there's a belief that he just took on a ton of debt, maybe, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. And that he didn't actually pay any cash, any more cash for it. If that was the case, we're talking about one of the greatest business deals in the history of sports. Now, we got to find out from MJ how much actually he paid in cash after that. And now, as an owner, I get it. He never won a playoff game, never finished higher than sixth in the East, fifth worst winning percentage in the NBA. Terrible owner. We're not talking about him as an owner. I'm talking about him as a business man. Yeah. Uh, so with the media rights like increasing over the last decade, MJ essentially sold this his stake in the team for a $3 billion valuation. That's double the $1.5 billion valuation he received when selling 20% of the team in 2020. It's 70% higher than the $1.7 billion valuation Forbes gave the franchise just nine months ago, which would make it basically 11 times more or 11 times higher in terms of the average uh, value than even some of the NFL teams or the NBA teams that, that you t- typically would trade for, typically they would sell for. Now, uh, Joe uh, Pompliano says it is the seventh, he claims, it is the seventh uh, most lucrative, expensive sports sale in history. Maybe something, maybe something about American sports, um, but he claims it's the seventh most expensive sports sale in history. And for MJ, you know, basically, but a $3 million sale um, basically kind of nets him $2 billion from this whole deal. And we don't know how much actual cash he put down. Right now it's in about $25 million, but I, something tells me that MJ didn't put more cash down after that. Something did. tells me he didn't. I think MJ might have, you know. Pull the, pull yeah, the fast one yeah, over he, on Robert Johnson. He did. He was like, one, man, I'll get it back to you. The first black billionaire being hustled by a future <laughs> black billionaire. It's only like 20 of them in the world. Well, they're trying to knock them down. Yeah, it's only like 20 of them in the world. I'm not yeah. talking about that number. It's like 20 billionaires with African ancestry in the mm-hmm. entire world. And uh, there are more African-American billionaires, though, coming up. I think LeBron was the latest. Yeah. Him and Rihanna, I believe, were classified at one time as billionaires. Sometimes it fluctuates when you're right there on the cusp of being a billionaire, and then you go back to being, uh, you know, you're a hundred millionaire. Man, you, LeBron is straight-on billionaire. I don't think he's ever going back. You just become regular. What? 
what, you become a, man, you're instead not of being a, a multi-millionaire? Yeah, yeah, you just regular now. You just got one billion. Yeah, you ain't got no you, money. you just got one billion. You ain't got no real money. That, <laughs> that's different than the guys who got like 10 billion. Yeah. So I think LeBron is still in the $1 billion range, but hey, man, still damn good. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan probably got over on Robert Johnson. Still not sure how much he actually paid for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, only record says about $25 million, but he's on the record for $2 billion in straight cash profits Come on, man. off of that sale. That is a damn good businessman. Run me my money. <laughs> I love it. Terrible owner. Yes. Greatest basketball player of all time. One of the greatest businessmen of all time. Terrible owner. You can't be great at everything. You, you can't, can't be the goat at everything. Hey, things happen, man. Exactly. Things happen. That's his wife. She doesn't think he's the goat. Yeah. Oh, right. hello. Well, I'm just saying. No, that's what I'm saying. I can't be the best husband all the time either. I'm about being the goat on the court. I'm the goat in this in, in the business world. I ain't got time to. Be, I can't be the goat husband too and the goat father. Hey, that's why he's trying to sell to one of the teams. And that's why he's got his kids dating Scotty Pippen's right. wife too. That's right. <laughs> and she just got she just won some money off of Scotty Pippen too. Did she? Yeah, she How won a she still winning money off Scotty Pippen? Hey, he's got N- some of that four hundred one k. No tipping Pippen. Yeah, hey, that's why. That's yeah. why. All right. She likes people that like to spin. Uh, so, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. Uh, we'll get into the unfortunate update about the uh, the, the uh, lost submersive. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, Wonderful Nine Horn. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's when Jack takes songs from a soundtrack that inspired him. And based on the selections that are played, Harge and I are supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the featured film of the day. We both got Purple Rain pretty quickly. Harge got the first movie, because we did two of them today, because my man Jack's a hardworking man. Uh, the first one was actually Space Jam. Harge uh, took him about two or three hints to get it, but he ended up getting it. Uh, so uh, two for two today. And guessing That's how the we do. features from the music. All right, gentlemen, uh, there is no good news on the uh, the lost submersal uh, that was lost on the voyage uh, to try to explore the wreckage of the Titanic from the uh, the ocean front comp- company. Uh, Jack, you I know you've been really uh, interested in this story, so you let me know if you've heard anything different. They were they did have some good news earlier today. When they were able to hear knocking via, uh, I guess it was like sonar or whatever. They have planes that fly overhead, uh, and they have these really just, um, I think, just really high level, high quality uh, sonar uh, radar, and they are able to kind of capture sounds from the deep. And they did hear knocking, so they believe that was them knocking, but that doesn't mean they can find them. Right. That means that they're alive, but still you're trying to a needle in the haystack situation where they're trying to find them at, uh, I believe, the, was it 13,000 feet mm, that, or something like that? Which is still crazy. Low sea level. Uh, and now, guys, we and by the way, I think they have reportedly close to like 11 hours of oxygen left at this time, too. Um, the more you research about it, it's one of those avoidable tragedies. Some tragedies are just tragedies, and they, they were not avoidable. Um, unfortunately, and people end up losing their lives and are devastated. This seemed like an avoidable tragedy. The mm-hmm. more research you do about it, 
I was, and, and okay, this is the first story that got me really upset. It upset me when I saw it, I'm not going to lie. So there uh, was a, there was an employee that worked for Ocean Gate. They fired him a few years ago after he filed safety complaints against them. The employee specifically claimed the sub was not capable of descending to such extreme depths before he was fired. His claim was that the submersible was only built to a certified pressure of 1,300 meters, although Ocean Gate intended to take it 4,000 meters. Ocean Gate refused to pay the manufacturer to build a viewport that would meet the required depth of 4,000 meters. Uh, also, there was a unanimous concern from industry leaders in the Ocean, I think it's just Ocean. Uh, it was right. It's kind of the Ocean uh, oceanographers. Is that what it is I oceanographers? That, yeah. I believe that's what it is. Oceanographers, all the explorers, deep whatever, sea divers, deep sea divers. <laughs> uh, but the oceanographers, uh, there was like a unanimous concern over twenty five of these industry leaders who said that this experimental approach that Ocean Gate was using would end in catastrophe. Um, and they basically also, there was discussions in 2018, Ocean Gate was warned by MTS, uh, recommended they discontinue their plans to commercialize trips to the deep sea to visit the, t- the wreckage of the Titanic because they did not think the tight, the Titan sub was safe enough. Mm, mm, mm. So it seemed like guys it was avoidable in a lot of ways how about this this is a report from a guy who, who was in the sub his name is arthur loibel he's 60s he told a german outlet um he said he undertook the perilous underwater odyssey in august 2021 diving over twelve thousand meters to the famous wreckage in the titan submersal he claims he also he said he was in there with some other CEOs and some really rich people because it cost you like $250,000 to go down in this thing. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, it was a suicide mission back then. That's what he said. He said the first submarine didn't even work at a dive of 1,600 meters. It had to be abandoned at the time. He explained that they ended up launching five hours late due to electrical issues. Come on, man. Which he suspects is to blame for the Titan crew's current predicament. Ain't no way. Not only that, but right before the voyage, the bracket of stabilization tube, which balances the sub, tore off and had to be reattached with zip ties. Come on, with zip ties. Think about that. That's why they had to bolt it in, right? That's why they ended up putting Dude, the bolts on there. He said it happened when he went down in it and his was a successful mission. He said, oh, no, nah, it, was, it was a suicide attempt. That thing was, it was crazy. That is wild. Oh man! See, that's the, and there's no way they were they were upfront about all these issues with the people that were paying the money. That's also see that, that that's that's upsetting because you know if they'd have told them the real, the people would be like, hell no, I'm not going down in that that coffin, that if, tomb with you. Hold on, let's let's put it like this: if you can afford two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to go underwater, I think you should have did some research before you went and said, I can do it. That's fair. Because there's no way, no way That's fair. I'm going to go out there. I need to know all the fail-safes. I need to know every single possibility of something. I, I, I heard somebody put this out there, and I, I think we kind of touched on this yesterday. 
Somebody said, all these people with all this money out here and ain't nobody decided to put no air tags on there where we can find, find uh, No, no, I got I, Actually, I got a comment on that. I'm uh, glad David, you do. David Pogue, um, he tweeted this. Um, he said, remember my voyage. He actually was on the ship because it, it's a submersible, not a submarine. Submarines, oh, yeah, submarines yeah, 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 can yeah. dock and then they can take off on their own. The submersible must be dropped in the water by yeah. a ship. So it's gotcha. So he was on the ship. Um, he said, I he said, I took the voyage to the Titanic last summer. He said, they took passengers out again this summer, but as of today, the sub is lost. He was talking about it. And he said, um, someone asked to do the submersibles have something similar to an aircraft's emergency locator transmitter, a beacon, an ELT. Uh-huh. He said, a submersible does not have any kind of beacon like that. Come on. Like, why on, would you even He says, go on my there? expedition last summer, they did indeed get lost for five hours. Adding, they were they they were hoping they had such a beacon. He said, "To be clear, I was not on the sub that day. I was on the ship at the surface in control in the control room, and they could still send short texts to the sub, but they did not know where it was. It was quiet and very tense, and they shut off the ship's internet to prevent us from tweeting out the information." And he said, why didn't y'all put that in the special in the show? He said, the company gave us a different rationale for shutting off the Internet, that this could be an emergency and they needed all channels open. And we had no idea how to confirm whether or not the information was true. But it was in the report. CBS News on this dive communication somehow broke down. The sub never found the wreck. We were lost. Uh, we were lost for two and a half hours, and Rush said he'll offer those passengers a free do-over next year. Uh, this was actually from that uh, instance this the guy just mentioned so th- this is this is multiple incidents of this particular titan sub with this company being screwed up and being made you know what i mean be kind of shady and rickety and they kind of put it together in their own way and it did not pass or meet any standards of the industry zero it was a total avoidable catastrophe and tragedy. That's why it's sad. Say totally it avoidable. Say it again. Except people totally were being avoidable. greedy. They wanted 250 Gs to take the people down into that makeshift sub they were making, and they just wanted the money from these CEOs and these really rich people. And honestly, these people should be that company should be ashamed of themselves. If anybody left that company, they should sue all of them. It's ridiculous. Thank you. All right, we'll come back. Now y'all right know here. how I really feel. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We'll come right back on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful night on the horn.